Good afternoon. How you guys doing? Yeah. Any of y'all watched the game last night? Oh, I know. It wasn't good for my religion, you know, especially losing to L.A. <laughs> but I wore my cowboy sweater. They're still my team, you know. Yeah, okay. Thank you. In this series, we're talking about living with purpose, and I want to begin by speaking some affirmations about you and over you. You are here for a reason. You are not an accident. In fact, I think I want us all to make that affirmation together out loud. Will you say, I'm not an accident? You ready? Everybody in the video cafe too. One, two, three. I am not an accident. Whether your parents planned you or not, you're not an accident. God planned you. And he has a purpose for your life and you can live it. And he has created you with a unique personality, unique gifts and abilities, unique strengths for you to make this world a better place. And he's positioned you in such a time as this, in whatever space you're in, whether, wherever you live, wherever you work, uh, wherever you play, so that you can represent him on the earth as you live out your purpose. You see, our God is a God of purpose. And that's why he created us to live with purpose. Now, you know, Sherry told you a minute ago about the 5K love run. Yeah, I'm like her. I don't like to run either. So, but I do like to walk. And so I'm going to walk the love run. And so if you want to walk, you can walk it with me. And uh, one of the things I like to do is walk. And so I, I like going on walks in, in woods. And uh, I like to have something to do when I'm walking. And so I look for like critters, you know, and birds and deer and, you know, every once in a while you'll see a coyote or something. I like wa watching for uh, critters. And when I'm walking in the woods, I don't see chaos. I don't see randomness. I see order. I see intelligent design. I see purpose. I believe our God is a God of purpose. And he created this universe with natural laws and systems and processes. That's why we call them weather systems. And I think our God is a God of purpose and he created beings in his own image to live with purpose. And I think science speaks to this. Y'all know I'm sort of a geeky science guy. I like science stuff. I don't see the tension between science and God. I think science actually suggests that there is a God. The more scientists learn about the universe, the better we understand how it was uniquely suited for us. Our world is designed with specific, uh, specific uh, precise specifications that make human life both possible and purposeful. So I'm going to quote me a scientist today. His name is Dr. Michael Denton. He's a molecular genetic biologist in the University of New, in New Zealand. And he made this observation. I just love it. He said, all the evidence available in the biological sciences supports the core proposition that the cosmos is a specifically designed whole with life and mankind as its fundamental goal and purpose. Isn't that cool? It's like there's this hole in the universe that we are designed to fill. And it's that longing to fill the hole in the universe that is the driving force behind our desire to live with purpose. And so as a church, we are focused. One of our goals this year is to help you live with purpose. 
I hope that through this series uh, that we can inspire you to believe that you do matter, that you can make a difference, and you can uniquely make this world a better place as you live your purpose. And this is what I mean by living your purpose. Recognize who God created you to be so you can do what he created you to do. You live with purpose when you recognize who God created you to be so you can do what he created you to do. Living with purpose will provide meaning for your life. Living with purpose will help you make decisions because you're living with a big picture in mind. Living with purpose will help you bring positive energy into your relationships. And living with purpose will move you beyond making a living. Living with purpose will help you make a life. And that's important. And it's an important distinction. Because if we can be honest, we each have inner issues that can distract us and lead us down a different path. We each have dysfunctional drives that we have to face that can hinder us from living with purpose. Now, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and numerous times I've had the opportunity to meet with people uh, in in life-altering situations and sometimes when they're facing life-threatening illnesses. And when people get like really honest with me, sometimes in those situations, people will get really honest. Some of them have expressed regrets. And all of the people who have ever expressed regrets to me, very few people have ever regretted not making more money. Very few people have ever regretted not having a bigger house or a better job. But I've talked to numerous people who regretted not living on purpose. Several years ago, a friend of mine was away traveling for a business trip. And while he was on the trip, he began to have a hard time breathing and it sort of hung with him. And so when he got back from his trip, he went to see his doctor and the doctor ran some exams and they found a spot on his lung. And my friend is a medical professional and he knew this was not a good thing. And so he called me and asked if I would come over and just talk with him about what was going on. And so I went over to his house and, and for the next couple hours, he just poured his heart out to me, literally weeping because my friend had made a good living. He had done well and he had raised some pretty cool kids, but he told me that throughout his life, there was this, this thing he felt like God wanted him to do, but he kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off all in pursuit of something else. And there in that moment, he was feeling regret. He had made a living, but he didn't make a life. And my friend was upset with regret. He had been led down a different path by a dysfunctional drive that had taken him down a path he didn't want to go on. And it's my job, one of my jobs as your pastor is to help you not live a life of regret. And so I want to help you live your purpose. But to live your purpose, you must face any dysfunctional drive within you that may take you down a different path or distract you from the path that God has for your life. Now, during this series, we're exploring a living with purpose by looking at how Jesus helped a young man named Simon live his purpose. And this week, we're going to unpack how Jesus helped Simon find freedom from the dysfunctional drive that threatened to take him off his path of purpose. Do you have any dysfunctional desire driving you? Are you aware of it? 
And do you know how to get free from it? Well, let's look at how Jesus helped Simon get free. Now, last week, uh, we looked at when Jesus first met Simon. And if you remember, when Jesus met Simon, he gave him a nickname. Does anybody remember the nickname? Peter or rock. Yeah, Peter, Peter is just Greek for rock. And in fact, this, this is interesting being us because nobody called anybody Peter back then. I mean, it was just, it was just rock. It would be like calling someone tree or dirt or leaf. But when Jesus gave Simon the nickname rock, there was a reason behind it because Jesus could see the potential in him. He could see the potential strength in him. He could see the endurance, the stability, the kinds of qualities that he wanted for his movement. And so he called Simon Peter. And now a lot of people are called Peter or Pedro, right? It all started with Jesus. You see, he could see the potential in Simon. And if you're going to live with purpose, it is important for you to see the potential in you, to see yourself the way God sees you, to see your inner strength, to see the, the significance within you and the strengths within you. And so when Jesus called Simon Peter, he was trying to get Simon to see his potential from God's perspective. But then, as I mentioned last week, for the next two and a half, three years, while they traveled together, Jesus didn't call Simon uh, Peter. He called him Simon. He kept calling him Simon. Why is that? I think it's because Peter was a potential in Simon, but Simon wasn't a rock yet. We're going to see what surfaces today. Now, the second time that Jesus called Simon by the nickname Peter or rock, it occurs about two and a half, three years into their traveling together in ministry. And it's recorded in Matthew 16 in response, uh, Peter's response to a question Jesus asked. We looked at it last week. I just want to go back to it for just a moment. Uh, this is Matthew 16, 13. <clears throat> when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are what? Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Though it took Simon some time to fully land on who he believed Jesus was. He did get there. He got to the place where he believed that Jesus is the son of the living God. And I just want to say that is an important part of purpose from God's perspective. Sometime in your spiritual journey, you do have to land on who you believe Jesus is. We really do believe he's the son of God, the son of the living God. And I hope you will believe in him too. Well, when Simon expressed his faith in Jesus, Jesus used the nickname Peter. And he did so to cast vision for Peter to see his purpose by looking at a purpose that was beyond him. Because Jesus said, look, your name is Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my movement. I'm going to call this movement the church. And it's going to be built on people who believe what you believe. And he cast vision for Peter, for Peter to see his purpose by looking toward a purpose that was beyond himself. To live with purpose, it's important for you to believe in a purpose beyond yourself too. 
And so Jesus was trying to get Peter to see uh, his purpose beyond, to believe in a purpose beyond himself. But that's when the dysfunctional drive surfaced in Peter. All right, this is Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So what's going on here? Jesus told Peter that a part of his own purpose was to suffer and to die and to come back to life. Well, that's not the purpose Peter had in mind. Peter had a different purpose in mind. He was thinking, dude, you're the son of God. We're going to go set up a kingdom, and I'm going to sit at the table with the king of kings, the son of the living God, and it's going to be awesome. And when Jesus started talking about this suffering stuff, Peter didn't want anything to do with it. And notice how he responded. You have, to, you have to picture this. So they're walking along, and the scripture says that Peter pulled Jesus aside. Now, when you, when you walk along and physically pull someone aside, that's a physically demeaning action. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm taking control of this situation. You come over here. And then the scripture says he's, he rebukes Jesus. He reprimanded the son of God. Who do you reprimand? I mean, you know, you might reprimand your kid when they're out of control or an employee or something. You don't reprimand someone you believe is the son of the living God. And when Peter reprimanded Jesus, that was his dysfunctional drive surfacing. This drive that could have kept him, prevented him from living his purpose. Do you have any dysfunctional drive in you? Now, last week I mentioned uh, you... I mentioned to you a, about the, one of the best-selling nonfiction books of all time. It's called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And in that book, uh, Rick Warren has a section where he talks about some of the dysfunctional drives that can keep people from living their purpose. And I want us to look at just a few of them this week. Now, he says that some people are driven by false guilt. They spend their lives trying to mask their shame. Guilt-driven people are manipulated by their memories. They, they're always living in the past. And it's like they can't shake free from this false guilt. And many times, they didn't even do anything wrong. And those who are driven by false guilt often sabotage their ability to live with purpose because they secretly don't believe they deserve it. Now, other people are driven by unhealed wounds. They hold on to past hurts, and they never get over them. Instead of releasing their past hurts through forgiveness, they rehearse their past hurts through resentment and resentful thinking. People who harbor this kind of resentful thinking about their life and about their past hurts, they end up either bitter and depressed or angry and toxic. And when you have those kind of emotions in you, it will hinder you from living your purpose. Now, other people are driven by fears. The fears may be the result of a traumatic experience. You may have fears because you had hyper-controlling parents. Or you may have fears just because you have unrealistic expectations of yourself. 
And people who are driven by their inner fears, they tend not to live with purpose because almost all of the time living with purpose requires risk and fearful people don't like to take risks. And then other people are driven by unmet needs. We all have a need for affirmation, for affection, for, for uh, approval and acceptance in life. We all have those needs. There's nothing wrong with that. But if those needs were not met in a healthy way, we can be driven by a desire to try to get those unmet needs met in dysfunctional ways. And if we try to get those unmet, unmet needs met in dysfunctional ways, it will distract us from living with purpose. Dysfunctional drives lead us to become self-focused and self-absorbed instead of thinking of living for a purpose beyond ourselves. And that's why it's so important to identify any dysfunctional drives in you. And so Jesus saw a dysfunctional drive in Peter and he decided to confront it. And so when, when Peter finished rebuking Jesus, Jesus rebuked him back. This is verse 23. This is awesome. I love it. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. Within a few minutes, he goes from being called rock to being called Satan. When Peter heard Jesus talking about all this suffering stuff, that's, that was not on his agenda. He, that was not a part of his purpose for his life or for Jesus' life. And when Jesus called Peter Satan, he was trying to shock him. I, I really believe Jesus was graciously trying to shock Peter into seeing what was going on in his heart because Jesus identified a dysfunctional drive. It was, it was a form of pride within Peter because Jesus could see in Peter's heart, he was thinking about his purposes. He was not thinking about God's purposes. He was thinking about his kingdom, not God's kingdom. And therefore, he didn't have a vision for a purpose beyond himself. And so Jesus confronted Peter and he challenged him to align his purposes with God's purposes, even if it included some suffering. And Jesus challenged him to re rearrange his life and his purposes around God's purposes. To live your purpose, you must be willing to live for a purpose beyond yourself. And you must be willing to align your purposes with God's purposes. Living with purpose is about gaining this perspective where you see God's purposes on the earth and your part in it. But it's those dysfunctional drives that can set us off course. And to break free from our, our dysfunctional drive, we have to find free. We have to break free from the drive. We have to be able to see it, be real about it, like be honest about it, and then break free from it. Well, that's what happened to Peter. This is how Peter found freedom. On the night that Jesus was arrested, Jesus made a prediction. He predicted that all of his followers, including Peter, would abandon him. And I want you to notice how... Uh, Peter responded to this prediction. You ready? This is Matthew 26, verse 33. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. What's going on here? Well, Peter was confident. Hey, dude, you're the one that gave me the name. I'm a rock. 
all these other guys, they may bail on you, but I won't. Even if I have to die, I will stand with you. And I want you to see what's going on. Jesus could see the rock in Peter, but he wasn't there yet. He had had an arrogant view of himself. He had a distorted view of himself and his own strength. And so he had to see the inherent weakness of his own strength. And so he was confident. He was cocky. Everybody else may bail on you. I'm not going to bail on you. Well, then he faced a painful experience that forced him to see himself the way he really was. And through a painful experience, God surfaced the inherent weakness of Peter's strength. This is what happened. So Jesus was arrested and he was going through a trial in a building, a large building. And outside the building, there was a courtyard. And so Peter went into the courtyard with a lot of other people who were wondering what was going to happen. Well, a young woman saw Peter and said, hey, you were with Jesus. And Peter replied, no, I wasn't. Then he moved to another part of the courtyard. Didn't want to be around that girl anymore. Well, in another part of the courtyard, a different young woman saw him and said, oh no, you were with Jesus too. I saw you. And this time Peter not only denied it, he said, I don't even know the man. And then I'm going to let Matthew tell you what happened next. This is Matthew 26, verse 73. After a little while, he's still in the courtyard. Those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Have you ever wept over a regret? Peter wept. He was broken. This strong, cocky, confident guy that he thought he was, he realized he wasn't. And that's okay. Because then he could become a rock. He was broken. He was humbled. He was surprised by what he saw in him. What I want us to know, notice about what happened is how Peter responded when he denied his Lord. After he promised he wouldn't. He could have run back home where he came from and just gave up his purpose. He could have gotten depressed about himself or he could have gotten mad at God. That's not what he did. He went back into the city of Jerusalem and found his circle of friends that he'd been traveling with all of these years. And with his circle of friends, he faced the truth about himself. With his circle of friends, he surfaced and dealt with whatever dysfunctional drives were steering him down a different path. With a circle of friends, he found freedom. And those of you who know the story, you know that a few weeks later, Peter, a rock, stood up, spoke to a large crowd, thousands of people, and spoke the first Christian message ever delivered. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people believed in Jesus too. Because now, broken and humble, he was a rock. And he was the rock upon whom Jesus built his worldwide movement that he called the church. And it's still moving today because people like Peter and you're a person like Peter too. You're not called to do what he was called to do, but you are called to do what you're called to do. And that's what I want to stir up within you. But you have to be be willing to respond 
to painful experiences that God uses to surface any dysfunctional drives in us so we can get free from them. And so this is what, what I'm asking you to do. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you just to face the truth about yourself. Wherever you are in your journey, face the truth about yourself. And I've, I've come to see that many times God surfaces the truth about who we are so we can become who he sees in us through painful experiences and sometimes some brutal words of truth. Remember, I think when Jesus called Peter Satan, I think that was a redemptive expression. I think he wanted Peter to see the way he really was and Peter couldn't see it. You ever been like that? Like everybody else can see the way you are and you can't? Okay, so I'm gonna tell you a part of my story, an ugly part of my story. And it's, it's a part of my story I feel like I have to tell about every year or so. So some of you guys who've been around City Church for a long time, I know you've heard me tell this story, but it's important for me to tell this story because I think some of you think, oh, you're a pastor. You don't know the dysfunctions in my life. You don't get it. Oh, no. Oh, no. I get it. And so let me tell you my story. Years ago, I had this experience I call my munchkin moment. And so years ago, uh, when my daughter Anna was about 10, she was in a multi-million dollar production of The Wizard of Oz uh, at the Lila Cockrell Theater downtown, San Antonio. And for your child to participate in The Wizard of Oz, they had about 50 children ranging from about 8 to about 11 to 12 years old. 50. And for your child to participate in this production, parents had to take turns watching the 50 munchkins from the time that the munchkin scene was over in the first act until the end of the third act when they came off of the curtain call. Well, the, the time came for me to watch the 50 munchkins. And I actually like kids most of the time. And uh, so anyway, we, things were going pretty good watching the 50 munchkins. All of a sudden, I noticed this one little boy, again, about 10, 10 or 11. He was running around with this little plastic cattail thing, bopping other kids with it. And so I did my parently duty. I said, hey, stop hitting kids with that. And he said, no, he just ignored me and ran off. And so I'm like, okay, wait a minute. And so I, I, I did my coach voice. You ever done the coach voice? I said, hey. <laughs> hey, boy, quit hitting kids with that plastic cattail thing. <laughs> and he looked over at me and he said, no. <laughs> and he took off. And I'm telling you something in me tripped. And I ain't real fast, but I can catch me a little munchkin. <laughs> and I, I ran after that boy and I caught him by the arm and I jerked him around and I just started screaming at him. I took the cattail away and I just yelled at him. Don't you move. Don't you. Give me that cat. Don't look at me. You know how you just tear. And I just screamed at him. Well, his lips started to quiver. He started to cry. And then he crumbled down to the ground. And I just kept, yeah, you just sit there and don't move. And, then, and when I finished screaming at him, he looked up at me and he said, you're evil. Have you ever been called Satan? Doesn't feel real good. And in that moment, I, I had to decide, okay, am I evil? Is what's coming out of me evil? And I knew he was right. It was just like if, it's like if Jesus was there saying, Satan, what the heck are you doing? This is just a kid. And I had to get honest. I had to face the truth about myself. I was a pastor for goodness sakes. I'm screaming at kids, what? There was a dysfunctional part of my heart. 
I had to face the truth about it. And that's what I'm asking you to do. And so I'm calling you to face it and to name it. I finally admitted in that moment, I was an angry man. And I was in a circle of friends and I went to my circle of friends and I told them about what happened. And I said, man, I think I'm an angry person. You know what my best friend said? You think? (laughs) Everybody else knew about it. I was the last one to realize it. But with that circle of friends, I began to process what was going on. And uh, our, our church, City Church, has a program we call Peel the Onion. And the program is about going back through the layers of your life and dealing with past hurts and hangups and pains and dysfunctional drives and how they get in there to get the healing you need. And, and I found there was this layer after layer after layer of hurt and wound and dysfunctional responses and resentment and bitterness. If you had asked me, I would have said, oh, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm a, I'm a preacher for goodness sakes. But it wasn't true. And I had to go back and get healing. I went through this process five times. That's how messed up I am. And I want you to know, City Church is a safe community. You can get real. It's okay. And you can face whatever dysfunctional drives you have. And you can get the healing you need. And you can break free. I promise you. You can find freedom. If you go through the process and get in a circle. I want you to hear the story of one couple who found freedom together. Take a look. We were married in 2007, and we were married for five years, and our relationship was crazy, um, ups, downs, chaos. Um, We had a two-year-old at the time, and we decided to get divorced. So we were divorced for two, about two years. We realized that we really wanted to make our family work again, and so we got back into church, and that brought us to PTO, and we knew something had to change if we were gonna make this work. For me, one of the things that I realized is we didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to express myself. The way I'd express myself, I would stuff everything. And I just would would get so angry and I'd reach a boiling point that it would spew out and I would end up taking it out on on my wife um, or my son. So that's when I realized I needed to change that. I needed to change my actions and PTO helped with that. PTO helped me realize what my triggers were, what triggered me to get angry. And by realizing what those were, whenever I do feel myself going there or getting um, upset or angry, I have tools now that I can use to help the situation. I think overall that helped our marriage. I grew up with a very passive mother. And so I took on that role my father was very volatile, and um, so I realized that I was doing the same thing. I was trying to keep the peace, and at the same time that I was doing that, I was stuffing all my own feelings. I became numb, and so really nothing bothered me. Like, I was always fine, and everything was always good, even though it really wasn't. Coming through PTO helped me realize that acting like everything's perfect isn't helping in this situation at all. It's not helping my marriage. It was turning my son into a person too that he was like, oh yeah, I'm fine, everything's fine. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm doing what my mom did 
And she thought she was doing what was right by keeping the peace, and it's not okay, because then you lose yourself, and I lost myself. And honestly, at, at the very beginning, I was kind of hesitant coming into this group. I was coming, didn't know exactly what to expect, but once I got in there, you create a relationship or create a bond with, with the guys in your group, and you realize that y'all all have something in common. Your stories, their struggles, you, you, you've got a lot in common. You're not by yourself. The relationships that we've made in PTO, we're closer to some of these people than we've ever been to people that we've known our whole lives because mm -hmm. they get a piece of their story that, and a piece of the, your story and they, you just connect like on another level. Going through PTO and now leading PTO, it's allowing God to use our broken marriage that's now fixed to help somebody else's broken marriage. City Church is a safe community where you can face whatever truths you need, need to face and get real about them. This is not a perfect church for perfect people, so I want you to understand that. This is a perfect church for imperfect people like me and like you. And we can help. I promise you, if you give us a chance, we'll help you find freedom. Like I said, I had to go through this process five times. And I can tell you, I'm not perfect. I can still struggle with anger at times. It's, it's like that's always my thing. That's my little signal of, oops, something's not right. But I can promise you, anger does not control me anymore. And I, I, I thank you, Lord, uh, for that. Uh, I thank the friends who walk with me through my journey to help me get there, and we'll help you get there too. And so if you'll give us a chance, we'll do that. So uh, let, me, let me pray for you. Um, and I wanna, I wanna do something very specific, and so I'm gonna ask if everybody would, would close your eyes so we can honor everybody's privacy, everybody in the video cafe as well. Uh, and if, if you would say to me today, Pastor Brent, would you pray for me? Because I've got some dysfunctional drives going on in me, and I need to face my truth. And I just want you to pray for me as I do that. Would you just slip up your hand, and then you can drop it down. I'm looking over here on my right. Okay, oh yeah, okay, I see. Yes, I see your hand up there too. I'm looking in the middle. Okay, yes. All right, yes, I see your hand. Okay. Anybody here to the left? Okay, yeah. Okay, I see you. Okay, so Lord Jesus, the, those who have lifted their hands are admitting in your presence. We're saying, Lord, we've got some dysfunctional drives going on in us. And we know that a part of living our purpose is to break free from it and to get the healing we need. And it's so awesome that you're the kind of Lord, wow, who loves Simon Peter through it all. Thank you, Lord. Wow, and you're gonna love us through it all too, Lord. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would stir faith and courage within our hearts, those of us who lifted up our hands, because we're, we're saying we're willing to risk uh, being vulnerable, taking the risk to step out and to face the truth about ourselves with some people who will love us and help us get healing. And so, Lord, that's my prayer, is for faith and courage, faith and courage, to take the next step toward living with purpose by breaking free. And so we trust you with our lives, Lord, and we ask for your help and your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.